I had a lot of people tell me last month, remember last month, December? I had a lot of people tell me, you know, Pastor Max, it just doesn't feel like Christmas. Just doesn't feel like Christmas. Now, part of what they were saying is that they didn't feel like celebrating. Dawn, bless her heart, actually had a, a couple of people accost her about joy, unspeakable joy, the song we sing, to say, hey, can we not sing that? Because I just don't feel any joy right now. Could you, could you not have, could you take that song out of the rotation? <laughs> okay. It's been a rough go, hasn't it? It's been a rough go. Uh, our church family has endured some loss. We've endured the loss of groups and gatherings. Thank God they're coming back <laughs> this year. We've lost people. Rochelle Ballard in November and now Carla Brantley on Friday. Um, I'm disappointed for you, Team Generations, because you didn't get to know the real Carla Brantley. So David and, and Carla showed up about October, November of 2019, and then COVID hit, and it's obvious to me now that by the time Carla showed up here from Texas, she wasn't quite herself. And uh, you, you was robbed, as we say in the South. Uh, Carla was a world-class encourager. Um, We've lost marriages, we've lost pregnancies, we've had some loss. Now, Americans aren't very good at supporting people through loss. Have you noticed this? Americans tend to say the darndest things. Um, in 1997, I had applied to doctoral programs. I had applied to three doctoral programs in American religious history. And after I got my first rejection letter, I had people telling me, oh, Max, don't worry, you're a shoe in God's got this. God's got, got the open door for you. God's going to, you, you know, hang in there, Max. And you know what the next two answers were? No, all those well-intentioned people were wrong. They were dead wrong. <laughs> it was a bunch of closed doors. Um, in 2011, uh, after my dad had a bout with pancreatic cancer, here's some things people said to me. God must have needed your dad in heaven. And I kept thinking, well, I wasn't quite done with him here. I mean, <laughs> God seems kind of needy to me. Uh, then, uh, then there was this one. At least he lived long enough to see his grandkids. What a blessing. Um, so then uh, back in the 1990s, uh, Jenny and I were in a small group that just couldn't stop meeting. And so we met and met and met. We were the small group that just never ended. Uh, and there was one couple in group that we were in group with who just tried and tried and tried and tried and tried and tried, and they just couldn't get pregnant. And they couldn't get pregnant, and they couldn't get pregnant, and we were all praying, and we were all hoping, and we were all praying, and we were all hoping. And then Jenny and I found out that we were, shh, we're expecting. And for two weeks, we waited to tell our small group some of the best people in the world because we knew as soon as that came out of our mouths, they would feel the sting of what they didn't have, right? If you've ever struggled with what to say to a friend who's grieving or how to support a friend who's grieving, you're not alone. We have all been on the struggle bus. It isn't easy or intuitive to know what to say or what to do. Um, for those of you who are older, who've lost a family member or a job or a home or a friend or faced a medical condition, or endured some kind of difficult relationship, haven't you wanted to punch some of your friends for what they've said to you? 
that laughter says, yea, verily, this is truth from the preacher of God. Okay, so yes. So today, I want to map out some practical ways that you and I can support friends and family members through a loss. But in order to do that, in order to do that, I got to acknowledge right off the bat that there are different personalities and different ways that people handle grief. We're all different and we all respond differently and there's some, there are different ways that people respond to grief and loss. Some folks, some folks, they isolate themselves, okay? And you may hear this phrase out of their mouth, well, you just don't get it. And so they, they isolate themselves. Now, the temptation here is to leave them alone. Some people, some people get kind of stuck or sometimes they're called being overly self-absorbed. It's like they can't think of anything but what they've lost and it just goes over and over again in their thing. And the temptation here is to tell those people, come on, just get over it, right? That's the temptation. Some folks succumb to a feeling of hopelessness or condemnation. I messed up. I'm never going to, ugh. I'm never going to get another chance. I'm never going to get another chance. And the, re- the temptation here is to tell them that they're overreacting. Well, you're just, you know, overreacting. It's not that bad. Can, can we agree this morning that leaving hurting people alone or telling them that they're overreacting or that they need to get over it is not a good idea? Can we, ag- can we agree? Okay. I need to hear a yes. Can we agree? Right. Okay, good. If ever there was a person who suffered in the Bible... It was Job. Job lost his children, his wealth, uh, his home, everything but his wife, who was such an encourager. She, (laughs) you know exactly what she told her husband. Come on, buddy, curse God and die. Let's get it over with. Come on, come on, let me hear you. Curse God, croak, let's go. Job had three friends, three friends, and I want to read some of the things that they said to Job. This is Job 4, verses 7 and following. This is one friend, Eliphaz. Stop and think. Do the innocent die, Job? When have the upright been destroyed? My experience shows that those who plant trouble and cultivate evil will harvest the same. A breath from God destroys them. They vanish in a blast of his anger. And then another friend in chapter 5, verse 17 Uh, But consider the joy of those who are corrected by God. Don't despise the discipline of the Almighty, Job, when you sin. Uh, Do you know what Job's response to all of this was? This is Job 16, verse uh, 2. I have heard all this before. What miserable comforters you are. What mi- some of you need like Christmas cards that you send out. What miserable, what miserable comforters you are. Now, Jesus, Jesus was a much better friend. He knew how to be a good friend to those who were grieving. Think of the woman caught in adultery or the thief on the cross. And so I want to go through a story that I've preached on number, a number of times, and it's from John chapter, se- uh, John chapter 11. And we're going to go through it chunk by chunk. And it's the raising of Lazarus. So John chapter 7, uh, verses 1 through 7. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. Now, this is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. 
So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, hey, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. So a messenger is sent, a family friend or an extended family member. Go find Jesus. Tell him that his dear friend is sick. And when Jesus hears the news, he does nothing. He stays put for two days. All of us hearing about this, reading this, all of us would think the same thought. Hello, is this thing on? Jesus, ding, 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 ding. Did you not hear? Ding, 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 ding. Like, so much so that John feels it important in verse 5 to, to put this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, it's like John's got to say, no, no, no. He really did love them, I promise. It was legit. He really did care about them, even though it doesn't seem that way by his actions. Okay? So then we encounter what happens, and that's verses 17 to 20. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. Okay? In a crisis, there are often two kinds of people. Two kinds of people. The Marthas, hi, I speak for all Marthas in the world everywhere. When things are tough, we're going to clean it, pick it up, fix it, wash it, fold it, move it, mow it. We're going to get it done because we're Martha and, and, you know, there's a crisis and there's tension. We want to be doing something. Then there are the Marys. And the Marys want to journal and contemplate and feel and emote and just kind of cry. And they just want to be there. And there's, and there's all kinds of stuff in between, but those are kind of two extremes in responding to grief, loss, and crisis. And I find it wonderfully encouraging that Jesus deals with each of them individually. And he starts with Martha, and that's verse 21 and following. Uh, Martha tells her, Martha says to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said. He'll rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord. So Martha is saying to Jesus, you're too late. You could have done something, but now it's too late. Now there's some major God stuff going on here uh, and truth stuff. And Jesus is claiming that resurrected life is linked to him. Resurrected life is linked to Jesus. Okay, so there's some big things being said here. And Jesus asked, do you believe? Yes, Lord, I've always believed. So let's go to the second 
sister. Mary, verse 27 and following. Then he returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher's here and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to see Jesus. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha had met him. When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep. So they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Again, Mary says in a sense the same thing to Jesus that Martha had said. You're too late. If you had just gotten the hustle and gotten here in time, he wouldn't have died. Sound familiar? Hey, gang, does this sound familiar? From your lips and my lips, we have verbalized these things to God, haven't we? God, where were you? You shoulda, you didn't, you coulda, you were, where were you, okay? And we feel that way when we're suffering or experiencing pain or loss. You're too late, God. Where were you when I needed you? But then, of course, something unexpected happens, and that's in verse 33 and following. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? Jesus asked the crowd. They told him, come, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing there said, see how much he loved him? But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell's going to be terrible. But Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you'd see God's glory if you believed? So they rolled the stone aside. Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they'll believe that you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave cloths, his face wrapped in a headcloth. And Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. I know this is theology 101, but I have to remind you of some things. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. So when Jesus does something, it means God is doing something. When Jesus feels something, it means God is feeling something. If Jesus is moved to compassion about something, it means what? God is moved to compassion about something, okay? And look here, God is moved with compassion, so much so that the other mourners are like, man, he loved his friend Lazarus. And in that moment, Mary and Martha's conclusions, Lord, you're too late, their conclusions were shown to be wrong that time. Lazarus is raised from the dead. And it gets Jesus into a bucket load of trouble <laughs> with the God squad. But in light of this encounter, I want to ask a couple of questions. And the first question is really simple. Uh, how do you measure God's love for you? 
I'll, since this is church and they say confession is good for the soul, I'll tell you one of the worst, unhealthiest ways I used to measure God's love for me when I was in my 30s and early 40s as a pastor. It was based on the number of people who showed up on any given Sunday. If lots of people showed up, it meant God loved me and God was with me. And if nobody showed up, it meant God didn't love me at all. And God, you know, how crazy is that? Is that not the craziest thing you've ever heard in your life? That's stupid, Pastor Max. Zeke's like, amen, Pastor Max. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. You're right, Zeke. It is. Why would anyone ever think that? I mean, it's right in the Bible. God tells us. And if that weren't enough, he sent his own son to be born in a manger, live an ordinary and yet extraordinary life and die a criminal's death on the cross. If that weren't enough, God shows us how much he loves us, right? But man, that's how I felt until a lot of therapy and a lot of Bible reading and the Holy Spirit wonking me over the head showed me otherwise, okay? How do you measure God's love for you? Does God only love you when you're healthy, you got enough to eat, you're comfortable, you're safe, you're getting what you want or you think you need? Is that only when God loves you? Or does he love you in the other times as well? And then secondly, would you be willing to support someone who's grieving? Would you be willing to help someone who's grieving? Even if you don't feel like an expert, even if you make a few mistakes along the way, even if sometimes some of the things that come out of your mouth seem silly in retrospect, would you be willing to support someone who's grieving? I want to lay out some practical ways that you and I can do that, okay? And they'll put those up there on the big screen. So the first piece of advice would be this. Uh, shut up and show up. <laughs> shut up and show up, okay? Well, let me, let me unpack this. Some of you are like, whoa, hey, this got personal real quick, okay? You only need two words with somebody who's grieving or who's experienced a loss. I'm sorry. That's it. That's all you need. That's all, no explanations, no trying to make sense of things or figuring out what God might be up to, just I'm sorry. That's it. That's all you need. Throttle your need to frame the event and make sense out of it. That's you. It's not them. So throttle that need that you have and just say, I'm sorry. And then show up unannounced. Uh, these days, I go over to Wilmore and hang out with my brother James unannounced. <laughs> right? You just, it's one of the things that you can do. Be present and let them speak. Let them vent. Let them say what needs to be said, even if anything needs to be said at all. Uh, years ago, I read a book by a man who lost his three sons over the course of a decade. All three sons gone to different reasons. Accident, I think one took his life and one was cancer. I mean, he was, he was like, I'm Job. I'm the modern-day Job. Oh, like, he was, this is what he wrote. <clears throat> One friend came and talked to me of God's dealings, of why it happened, of hope beyond the grave. Everything he said was true, but I wished he'd never showed up. Another friend came and just sat beside me. He didn't talk or ask leading questions. He just sat beside me for an hour or so. I hated to see him go, okay? Uh, shut up and show up. So that's one thing. 
The second thing, offer specific help. One of the things I like to do with people is I always ask, uh, do you need anything? But what I find is that that question, when somebody's grieving or experiencing loss, they're like, <laughs> it's like the Star Trek. I know I'm going to speak a foreign language for a moment, but bear with me because you love your pastor. I love it. Okay, so in Star Trek, at the front of the bridge, there's a viewer screen. But when you're in a nebula, <laughs> the viewer screen doesn't have a clear picture. It cuts in and out. It's fuzzy. You can't really communicate really well in a nebula, inside a nebula. And so what I have found is that when people are grieving and they've experienced loss and they're walking through pain and suffering, they're in a nebula. And so when you're like, do you need help with anything? They don't like, you know, huh, what? So offer something specific. Let me give you a couple examples. I'm going to the store on Tuesday, Josh. What can I pick up for you? Uh, or I'm taking the kids to Malibu Jacks on Saturday. I, would, I was thinking I could pick yours up at 2 p.m. Would that be okay? Like, that's specific. And in the nebula, you can often get a yes or no answer for those kind of specific asks. Okay, so offer specific help. Uh, third, talk about or share stories of the deceased. If someone's lost someone, someone's died, someone's passed away, this, it's okay to do, I remember when. I remember when. Um, from time to time, I've mentioned to Don, like one of the things I was unprepared for with baby Michael Tippy is how utterly adorable he was. Oh my gosh, you, you would see, the, like everybody saw the pictures on the interwebs, but I got to go to the hospital. And even with all the little cords and all the, like he was the Borg thing connected to the Borg Collective, but he had the perfect little head and the perfect little, but he was just adorable, right? In saying that, Don doesn't shatter, like, okay, so like what I'm saying to you is talk about or share stories of the deceased. You know, it's good to, it's good to know that they're remembered, okay? And then number four, commit to the long haul. This is like six months down the road. The first Christmas, the second Christmas, the first anniversary, the second anniversary, it's going to sting. Uh, my dad did something that when I see him in the resurrected life, I'm going to kick him in the shin for doing this. I'm like, what were you thinking? That was stupid. Ah, so he, he did birthday cards for like five years after his death. And so it's my birthday. It's in the middle of the summer. I'm like not thinking about this at all, and I see a card that mom has slipped into the pile that's got his handwriting on it. And it's like, ugh, ugh. You know, it's like the sting all over again, right? Like, so commit to the long haul is what I'm, uh, so six months down the road, check into him. Uh, when it's the holiday season, uh, that's when it's going to get hard. And then last but not least, give yourself grace. Okay, <laughs> none of us in this room are certified therapists, and that's okay. You're regular, ordinary people that can be used by God to make a difference, and that's all you need. That's all you need. So give yourself grace. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to say things from time to time that in retrospect, you're going to be like, why did that come out of my mouth? That was kind of silly. Yep, that's okay. Move on. It's okay. It's okay. Uh, it happens to all of us. Give yourself grace, move on, and keep trying. Keep reaching out. 
I just felt like it was appropriate to share this message today in our church family because I want you to be empowered. I want you to have some specific things with each other. Um, Back in 2011, uh, after my dad died, it, uh, in that year, I was taking this uh, class called Leadership Jesmond County. So it's this like chamber thing where you meet all the politicians and all the cool people in the county and you see how the county works. And I was in a class of about 15 other people doing this. And they knew because I would, there were a couple of days that I had to miss because of cancer treatments and all this other stuff going with dad to the hospital. And at the end of that year, right before graduation, they did something very tangible. It was small, but I, it's still there outside my house. They gave me this stone, like a, a remembrance stone, and it's got a poem on it, and it's got his name and dates on a plaque that's there. If you go to my house today and you're coming up the sidewalk, it's literally on the left right before you step onto the step, and it was just a tangible way for them to go, hey, Max, we see you. We see you. We know what you're going through. Hey, we just, we see you. That's all. That's all that was. So again, these are all things that we can do to help each other through suffering and loss. And hopefully this gives you a handle on some things to lean into and some things to avoid. Uh, But Jesus wants to use all of us to help each other. And can I just name something? I know that for a lot of you, that you would say, you know what, everything in my life is going fine. Max, I've had, you know, I, with the pandemic, I mean, really, I just got locked into my house and I've gotten to binge watch, you know, it's been incredible. Like I've gone through all five, 16 seasons of, and you would say, it's really not that been, been that bad. Here's what I would say to you. You've been traumatized at a level, whether you recognize it or not, because of everything that we've all gone through. And so, and you've lost things. If you've been part of this church family, you've lost things. When was the last Oikos meal? When was the last Oikos meal? You've lost some things, okay? So, so again, as we step into 2022, I just want to encourage all of us together to encourage one another and help each other through the loss and twists and turns of life. I'm going to ask our musicians to make their way up front, and I want to pray a prayer for us. Father, thank you again for the gift of today. Thank you for this church family. Thank you for my church family, for our church family. Uh, I like to say we put the fun in dysfunctional. Um, And I'm very glad that as awkward and geeky as we can be sometimes, that we try, okay? So Father, help us to get over our own hangups or, gosh, I might say the wrong thing or I'm just bothering them or all the kind of mental stuff that we do. And when, when somebody comes to mind, when somebody comes to, to our heart, would you empower us to have the courage to just reach out, reach out, send a text, send a message, make a phone call, reach out. Uh, and in that way, live out and lean into all the one another's that we read in Paul's many letters in the New Testament. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.